Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard shall understand. I read an interesting observation by a man named Fred Smith. He wrote, as a speaker, I've always accepted the responsibility for people listening to me. I've never been able to rationalize that I'm too deep for them and they simply have to listen harder. I came by this conviction many years ago while driving through the farm country of Indiana to make a speech. I was just starting out as a speaker, and my talks were getting heavier and heavier. It's his way of saying, more and more difficult to understand. He said, although I was greatly pleased with what I heard, I found myself talking to fewer and fewer people. He writes, then suddenly, there in the field, that spring day in Indiana, I saw the model for my public ministry that would last all my life. A man was plowing with a single mule and there must have been 50 chickens following him. And as I watched, this thought began to grow in my mind. The chickens will always follow the fella that's plowing up the worms. I realized then I had to feed people. Not what I thought would feed them, but what they were really hungry for. Over the years, I found it's always the same. If you want the chickens to follow you, you have to turn up the worms. And when you do, they'll be there, I promise you. Why is this important to our lesson? Remember what Paul has already written in, in chapter 15. Pain and suffering is the universal experience of humanity. Paul knew that people were starved for hope. 
Paul has reminded the Romans that the scriptures are the source of hope. God is the fountainhead of hope. Remember in verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And then in verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who lack hope often experience a profound absence of joy and peace. Again, let me remind you of the context. Jews and Gentiles are supposed to get along in Christ. We're to preserve the ministry of unity in Christ towards one another. In spite of our differences, we're supposed to get along. And perhaps the greatest cause of personal grief is our failure to cooperate with God, to live in Christ, to yield to the Holy Spirit. And failure to do so will result in personal relationships that fail. Failure in relationship may be the leading cause of grief in our lives. The greatest crisis of our life often emerges from careless acts of disobedience to the commands of Christ which get us into trouble with each other. In this passage, Paul offers a peek into the pastor's heart. What kind of a minister is Paul? And if we listen carefully to Paul's heartbeat, if we will place our ear next to the, to the beat of this particular passage, we will hear the beating heart of Paul and we'll get a glimpse, not simply into how Paul feels about the Roman reader, but we'll get a glimpse into what our hearts could be like. Remember, God has called you, each and every one of you, to be God's minister of hope. And remember what a minister is. A minister is a servant. And that's simply what it means. One who serves. You're called to serve Jesus. And in your service to Jesus, you're to serve each other. And since so many people are in crisis, and since so many people need help, and since so many people are in a crisis of conscience and the need of hope, who better to be a source of hope than you? Who better to be a source of joy and peace as you point people to Jesus. And so Paul will tell us about his heart that's filled with compassion in verse 14. He will tell us about a heart that's strengthened by courage in verse 15. A heart that is directed and called by God in verse 16. He will talk about a heart that is committed to the things of God, the message of God, the purposes of God in verses 17 through 19. And then he's going to describe a heart that is willing to carry Christ to your family, to your friends, to the world. Look at verse 14 again, a heart filled with compassion. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, 
able also to admonish one another. The New Living Bible translates this, I'm fully convinced, dear brothers and sisters, that you're full of goodness. You know these things so well that you're able to teach others all about them. Paul tells the Romans, he uses words, full, filled, able. How do we get compassion out of that? I'm going to tell you. Paul's heart is filled with compassion, with graciousness towards his brothers and sisters in in Rome. By the way, if you grew up in a kind of a home like I grew up in, it isn't always a compliment when someone says, you're full of it. Full of what? Paul says, full of goodness, filled with knowledge. The reason why this becomes important to each and every one of us is that Paul doesn't pretend to be better than Joe average Christian. Paul isn't saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am the super apostle having written one third of the New Testament. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't say, I am the source of hope or I am God's man in order to communicate hope. He reminds the Romans, they're filled with goodness. They're filled with knowledge. Not, Not only are they filled with goodness and knowledge, they're able to admonish one another. And by the way, in verse 14, the word admonish means competent, literally being able, nuthatain, to instruct competent to instruct one another. J. Adams translates this competent to counsel. So what does it mean to be filled with all goodness and knowledge? Does this mean that you have knowledge or goodness in an absolute sense? Does this mean that you can go on jeopardy and you can go, Alex, I'll take knowledge for a hundred. That's actually not what it means. He's basically reminding us that the presence of God and the presence of Jesus and the presence of grace and the presence of Christ inside of our hearts gives us the ability to communicate hope to one another. Later in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, Paul will write, For it has pleased God to tell his people, that's you, that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, that's you. For this is the secret, Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. In Colossians 1.28 it says, So everywhere we go, he's speaking of himself and those people who accompanied him. We tell everyone about Christ. We warn them. Same word, nuthatain. We confront them. We instruct them. We warn them. And teach them with all wisdom which God has given to us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that's what every minister does. That's what every minister is supposed to do. Every minister is supposed to prepare the person who comes in contact with him or her. To prepare them for eternity. To remind them that there is a place where we're going. 
a place we must be. Paul does not believe the senior pastor is the only person competent to counsel. He does not believe the pastoral staff are the only people capable of imparting hope. Paul does not believe that he's the only one who can impart the wonderful promises of God and the gospel of Jesus. Paul is giving the Christians in Rome permission to love each other and to counsel each other and confront each other and minister to one another and support one another and pray for one another. The heart of hope links to people. The restoration of a right relationship with God and with each other. Does this mean that Paul doesn't believe in professional counseling? Not necessarily, but it must mean, it must mean, it must mean that Paul does not subscribe to the unbiblical notion that only professionally trained counselors are competent to give hope in Christ. And so... All believers are full of goodness, mestoi, agatha, sunes. Agatha is the root word for good or goodness. In, in the Greek language, in the ancient world, people would name their children after some of the virtues that are in the Bible. You've all heard the name Irene. It means peace. Or charis or karen, which means gift. But the word agatha, which has completely fallen out of favor, is a word that means goodness, virtue, kindness, helpfulness, excellence, conciliation. When he says this full of goodness, he's referring to an inner depth of character and riches. A lot of Christians say, well, I'm not competent, I'm not qualified, I'm not equipped, I'm not trained to deal with people in crisis or to deal with people or their problems. Paul says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19. Paul is trying to convince you that you have everything that you need in order to love people and pray for them and impart hope to them. Depth and comprehension of all things isn't the criteria which qualifies you to give hope. Paul says this. Have you experienced the love of God in Christ? Are you born again? Are you saved? Have you experienced what it means to have your sins washed away like we sang? My sin, not in part, but the whole has been washed away. If you've experienced that, then guess what? You have experienced life-giving hope. If Jesus lives inside of you, then you're filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul says you're filled with all knowledge, passus, noseos. 
That means spiritual insight and perception, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Do you know the spiritual need of human beings? What he's basically asking and and, and inviting you to answer is, do you understand the problem that people face? According to the Bible, the problem that people face is the problem of sin. They're alienated from God. Their sin has separated them from God. Do you understand that people are separated from God? Do you understand that they're made in the image of God? Do you understand the spiritual need of people who are in bondage? Do you understand the devastating effects of sin? And if you grow up in this broken world, then you understand the devastating effects of sin. You know what it's like to be disappointed. You know what it's like. To experience a painful situation that has resulted in in terror for some, despair for others. Do you understand the spiritual truth of the gospel? Do you understand the power of the gospel to expose sin and then forgive sin and redeem sinners and reconcile them to God? Then you can give people hope. And so I'll say it, and I'll repeat it. The least qualified Christian is more qualified than the most qualified unbeliever to give people hope. I know some of you don't really believe me. And I know that just simply repeating it isn't going to convince you. But I will say it again. The least qualified Christian is more qualified than the most qualified unbeliever to give people hope. Because remember, hope is in the word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. And no unbeliever is connected to God. Because no one can come to the Father unless they come by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I want you to do the math. If you're connected to God... Because you're connected to Christ, then you're connected to hope. Listen, Christian, we're not hopeless or helpless. We are to abound in hope. How can we be helpless when we're able to experience the joy and peace that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit? And since we have the inexhaustible resources of the Holy Spirit, why in the world would we rely on the limited resources of a broken world with their unproven and flawed theories of human dysfunction? Why do Christians long to drink from polluted wells and broken cisterns which will never provide pure, fresh, clean living water. This last week we have been, had our parking lot torn up and for, on Friday our, our, get, our water was completely shut off. You never know how convenient water is until it's no longer there. You never realize what a wonderful, joyous thing it is to flush (laughs) when you can't flush. And you never realize just how much hope comes from connecting people 
until you run across someone who's disconnected. And so Paul will also have a heart strengthened by courage. Look what it says in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some of these points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Paul's heart is filled with boldness and courage. Why? He is basically saying, I want you to understand why I can be so bold and why I am filled with courage because Paul has earned the right to be bold. Remember the Lord God called Saul to be a minister to the Gentiles. You know the story of Saul, who becomes Paul. In Acts chapter 9, you remember the young rabbi from Tarsus, schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. He is a Pharisee. He is a persecutor of of Christians. He hates Christians. He hates Christianity. He follows people. He pursues them. He incarcerates them. He tortures them. He willingly participates in their murder. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and changes everything. And you see, for many of you, you grew up in a world disconnected from God, disconnected from faith, disconnected from forgiveness in Christ. And then God showed up and saved you. It's not a complete joke when I tell you that in high school I was voted most likely to go to hell. There's a reason. Because that's where I was going, to hell. Apart from God, apart from Christ, filled with hate, filled with anger, filled with bitterness. Just like some of you. Growing up in a broken home. Not growing up in ideal circumstances. And then God shows up and and changes you. In Acts chapter 9 verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to him. That's to Paul. Go for he. Or actually he was speaking to um, Ananias. Who prays for Paul. For him to regain his sight. He says, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Speaking of Paul. To bear my name before Gentiles. Kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He doesn't say, I'm going to show him all of the wonderful books that he's going to write, and all of the wonderful Bible studies that are going to be written, and all of the great movies that are going to be made about his life. It doesn't say that. But it does say that the Lord says, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use him. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And you know what Paul did? He believed God's word. That, God was, that Jesus would save him. Set aside him. Set him apart. He actually believes the promise that he's supposed to go Everywhere to everyone. Now Paul is armed only with the good news and an unshakable faith in the Lord Jesus. And he will shake and shape Rome, the proud mistress of civilization. Paul has a missionary's heart. He longs for everyone to come to Christ. His heart is the heart of a shepherd. A heart of a shepherd rescues sheep from danger. And sheep are in danger when they're alone and isolated. And sheep are in danger when wolves and predators are present. And the shepherd's job is to tenderly rebuke the sheep when they resist the shepherd's commands. God isn't angry or impatient or frustrated. And so 
God knew that Paul needed to not be angry or impatient or frustrated. God's heart is a heart of passion and compassion. And then we peek into his heart a little bit further. In verse 16, it's a heart that's directed and called by God. This is what he's making reference to in verse 16 when he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. That's the good news. That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word that Paul uses for minister is not the usual word diakonos, which means to wait the table or to provide sustenance or service. Paul uses a different word here. He uses the word Liturgo. The reason why this is important for each and every one of you is because that word liturgo, or we get the word, the familiar word liturgy from it. It was a Greek word which was used to describe a person who functioned in the service of a priest or performed a priestly function. Phillips uses the example that just like Moses had a heart for the people of Israel, God placed on Paul's heart a priestly calling on behalf of the Gentiles. I want you to think about what Paul is saying. He's basically saying, I see myself as a priest of God. I see myself as a priest making an offering. That's a bloodless sacrifice. And what is the offering that he's making? The Gentiles. Paul wants the Gentiles to be holy and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. So Paul's holy task, Paul's sacred duty is to devote himself to presenting the Gentiles to God. Part of Paul's purpose in life was to prepare and present the Gentiles to meet God. And you know what? That's my job as well. It's my job to prepare you and then to present you to God. To prepare you and to present you to God. And moms and dads, it's your job to prepare and present your children to the Lord. It's your job to prepare and present all of those people that God has entrusted to you to meet the Lord. And so what Paul is revealing is that the heart of the minister is constantly pushing people in the direction of hope. Kent Hughes writes, Here we're exposed to Paul's remarkable self-conception. Though he's involved in the dusty, mundane business of traveling the ancient world on foot, suffering exposure, experiencing threats, having several beatings, complete rejection by some, in his heart of hearts he sees himself in priestly garb in the temple, lifting up the souls of men which then ascend like a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. Unquote. 
God called Paul and directed him in the ministry. And you see, your heart will change. Your heart will grow and mature when you begin to understand that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who has called you into the ministry of being a servant and a provider of hope. God's called you to provide direction for hurting people. Not just a bandage in the midst of a crisis, but a safe pasture where sheep can graze, bordered by love, a corral that's fenced in by biblical correction. God has called you, directed you to the ministry of hope and reconciliation. And so Paul continues with a heart that's committed to the things of God. Look at verses 17 through 19. He says in verse 17, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God. In verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of these things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. It's his way of saying, I'm not telling you anything that I did, apart from God's call. Christ's call, God's instruction, God's guidance. In verse 19, in many many signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. That's the good news. By the way, Illyricum was a Roman province in what's now the Balkan Peninsula. It stretched along the east coast of the Adriatic Sea from Italy to Macedonia. Paul preached from Jerusalem round about to Illyricum. In the ancient world, Illyricum was in a state called Dalmatia. Today, the region is known as the former Yugoslavia, parts of Albania. The reason why this becomes important is because Paul has traveled via land, via sea, He has traveled thousands of miles with the gospel. My father, when I was a young man growing up, would travel quite frequently. And when my dad would get home, I'd say, Dad, Dad, where have you been? And my dad would say, Gino, I've been from Maine to Spain. And everywhere in between. This is what Paul is saying. I've been from Jerusalem to the former Yugoslavia and everywhere in between. He's made a 1,400-mile journey from Jerusalem to the former Yugoslavia without a bus, without a car, without modern transportation. Paul's transportation consisted of two feet shod with the gospel of peace. But here's what I want you to understand. Paul is walking, and Paul is talking, and Paul is praying, and Paul is preaching, and Paul is dreaming. And do you know what Paul is dreaming about? He's dreaming about a world where everybody knows Jesus, where everyone is saved, where everyone has come into a right relationship with God in Christ. Paul dreams a dream of a vision of a world that's been transformed by the gospel. 
you may not be able to have that big of a dream. But I'm wondering if you could have a little dream. A dream of your life transformed by the gospel or your family's life transformed by the gospel. Do you even dare dream a dream about a church that's transformed by the gospel or a community that's transformed by the gospel? There would be, there would be no Palestinian and Jewish conflict at this very moment if both Jews and Gentiles were transformed by the gospel. Paul engages in some sanctified boasting. Sanctified because his soul makes its boast in the Lord. Look what it says. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus. That is, I have a legitimate reason to glory. That means exalt my work for Christ and what Jesus has done. He's basically saying, in what Christ Jesus I have accomplished concerning the things of God. The New Living Translation says, so it is right for me to be enthusiastic about all that Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. I Dare not boast about anything else. I have brought the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I lived before them. In verse 19, I've won them over by miracles done through me as signs from God, all by the power of God's spirit. Think about what he said. I have brought the Gentiles to God. How? By my message. How else? By the way I lived my life. How else? By my message and the way I live my life and then allowing God to use me in a supernatural way to make a difference in their life. And by the way, that's exactly what could happen to you. It isn't just simply about preaching the gospel, is it? It's about living your life. It's by living your life in such a way that the gospel becomes attractive and winsome. He says, through mighty signs and wonders. God used the signs and the wonders not to bring Gentiles to faith in Christ, but rather rather to provide a platform, a stage to consider the claims of Christ. Signs and wonders in and of themselves rarely become the instrument of conversion. No wonder Martin Luther said, we preach always him. This may seem a limited and monotonous subject, likely to be exhausted, but we're never at the end of it. And that's why we preach the gospel. Instead of having a miracle crusade each and every week, the Lord wants you to model hope for people in pain. And in order for you to model hope for people in pain, you have to have a healthy, faith-filled life. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a happy, faith-filled life? Do you have the heart of the minister? Because even strong, healthy sheep can sometimes become casualties in a cruel world. Sometimes people get hurt really bad. And you need to be there to listen to them. When the sheep bleed out, I want to come back. You need to help them. 
to do exactly that. You know, the shepherd's heart is always distressed when people wander away. But sometimes we have to let them. That might come as a shock and a surprise to you. There are people who will say, I don't want to go to church and I don't want to read my Bible and I don't want to be obedient to God and I don't want to be obedient to Christ and I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And you say, that road is going to lead you down a very difficult path. And if I could spare you that heartache, if I could spare you that pain, if I could spare you that disappointment, I would sure try. But sometimes we have to let people go where they must go so that they can come back with a different heart. But we have to be ready to welcome them back. And so Paul talks about a heart that carries Christ. Look at verse 20. He says, and I have made it my aim to preach the gospel Not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And in verse 21, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard, they shall understand. I've told you guys in in the Mojave Desert growing up in the In the early 60s, I'm living in a place where there's very little to do. And we finally, finally got television about 1963, just in time to watch John F. Kennedy get assassinated. And and just close enough that we could start to watch Star Trek, the original Star Trek. And my brother and I, we would play Star Trek. He would be Captain Kirk and I would be everybody else on board. And we would have deep space adventures, you know, long before to go, uh, how does it go? To go where no man has gone before. You, I, let's see if we can remember it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization. This is what Paul is doing. He's going where no one has gone before. He's seeking those who are dead in trespasses and sin. He is looking for the person who has never heard the good news that there is hope and forgiveness and life in Christ. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 52 verse 15. Paul's command of the scripture is remarkable. In in Isaiah 52, 15, it says, So shall he, that's the Messiah, sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Paul reads the book of Isaiah, reads that passage and says, They're talking about me. They're talking about me. I've received an invitation to go to all the parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. And Paul's heart is a heart that desires to bring Jesus to the nations. In his world, everyone must hear the gospel. 
Everyone must hear the gospel, whether you are chained next to him in a prison, whether you are traveling with him along the side of the road. Paul's heart is a is a heart that sees all people as an opportunity to either have hope or or give hope. For Paul, it's not just simply a biblical mandate. It's not just simply a divine decree. It's not simply a holy commission. But if it were only a mandate, if it were only a decree, if it were only a commission, it would be worth it. But in his heart, in his heart of hearts, he wants people to see a world where Jesus is the king and Jesus is the Lord, where a lost world has been given hope. And so Paul writes... And so I've made it my aim. What have you made your aim? What is it that directs your focus? What is it that informs your life? What is it that brings to mind the things that you're going to think about or the things that you're going to talk about or the direction that you're going to go? What is your aim? What is your task? Do you want to help hurting people? Do you want to give them hope? And so... There are two kinds of people in the world. Italian people and people who wish they were. No, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who have hope. People who need hope. Believe it or not, each and every one of you fall into one of those two categories. If you have hope, be prepared to give it away. If you need hope, be prepared to receive it. If you have hope, then make sure your heart is filled with compassion and sensitivity. Make sure your heart is strengthened by courage. Make sure your heart is directed and called. Make sure your heart is committed to the things of God. And make sure your heart is prepared. To carry Christ. To make Jesus real. In the situation where people need hope. Make sure you have a heart. That carries Christ to a world that's desperate for hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord we see into Paul's heart. And perhaps we've gained a glimpse of our own heart. Things that we have, things that we wished we had. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who has lacked sensitivity or courage, disconnected from Jesus, not connected to the things of God. Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart even now. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Lord, I pray that that would be the man, the woman who says, I want hope in my heart and in my world. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as they cry out to you, that you would hear their cry and that you would hear their prayer. 
that if they don't know Jesus, if they've never experienced what it means to, to love Jesus and to experience forgiveness of sin, I pray that that's exactly what they could experience right at this very moment. Hope. Forgiveness. Lord, I pray that they would confess their sin and turn to Christ. And for the person, Lord, that you've appointed, anointed, called, set apart to be a hope giver. Lord, I pray that they also would pray that very special prayer. Heavenly Father, put people in my life so that I can point them to Jesus. So I can give to them what you've given to me. Hope. Forgiveness. Joy. Peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.